Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the MBN Entrepreneurship and Leadership Channel. As well as new content, we are making available selected podcasts recorded by our hosts prior to joining the MBN family. This is one of them, and so this podcast may refer to itself with a different name and identity. Enjoy the show. The centre of innovation is here, and you know this is part of the message of Project Cashmere of this whole podcast that there's something happening here which is beyond just good value for money. Like I said, having the vision is great, but the key is these concrete initiatives that drive it at the ground level. I think Paulina those people who are really they do extremely well with very limited resources, and we can take advantage of the really low costs here. You know, Poland is the land of opportunity, and I, and I like to say the East is the new West because you always used to go West in history to find more adventure and danger and prove yourself. There are some good things beginning to happen here in Krakow, but we've got a very long way to go. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, good night, whatever time of the day it is, wherever you are, Project Kazimierz listener. Today I've got a, a special guest, uh, Jill Gross, who's come here from South Africa, and um, rather than me try to introduce her as best I can, I think it would be better if you did it yourself. So, h- hello Jill, and who are you? <laughs> Hi Richard, um, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, my name's Jill Gross, I live in Cape Town, South Africa. Um, I'm an uh, avid reader, have been all my life, um, worked in libraries, uh, most of my um, working life in libraries or in information um, divisions, particularly in the building industry and for architects. But above all, I'm an avid reader and absolutely love books more than anything. So I was introduced to a primary school very close to my house, uh, where uh, my, the children of my domestic worker uh, were enrolled. And at some point I decided um, after finishing work or having retired from um, work that I needed something constructive to do. Um, so I volunteered as um a helper, a one-on-one helper um, with an organization called Help to Read, which takes children who are behind uh, and gives them one-on-one attention for half an hour twice a week. And I wondered why uh, we were operating inside this very nice little library that had a great collection of books and an operating computer, but there was no librarian. So um, I made some inquiries and discovered that the school had lost its librarian post in 2006, and this was now 2010. And the responsibility for the library had been left to one of the teachers, um, one or other of the teachers who had far too much to do, so not much was happening as far as the library was concerned. So I indicated that I might be uh, willing to help from time to time, and they jumped at the opportunity, and then it um, grew from then. So initially I would go in a couple of hours um, a few days a week, but from 2012 I started opening the library at 7.15 every morning, Um, and then I'm there uh, for three break sessions, one before school um, and two during the day. 
And then as time went on um, and the teachers got used to me, uh, they uh, agreed to send their classes um, one by one. So essentially I'm there for um, four days a week, three breaks, and each of the classes from grade one to grade seven comes to the library for a session during which I'm not actually teaching them anything, but essentially I'm giving them the opportunity, all of the children in the class, um, to choose a book and um, take it out. Uh, let me cut in there because uh, you've plunged straight into your to your to <laughs> your story, which which is great. And um, when we were discussing the show, you said you're not sure how how entrepreneurial it is because mm-hmm. I was explaining that Project Kashmir is about entrepreneurship and innovation and putting other interesting people on the on the podcast. And I was explaining that you know for me entrepreneurship is wider than a tech startup. It includes anyone who who sees a problem that they wish to, that they think can be solved or can organize a solution of the problem. So can you, can you explain a bit about the context? That, we'll perhaps give the age, because different countries have got different, like, different names for school years and, and grades. Can you explain the age of the children, maybe their, their background, because not many of our listeners are in South Africa, too, and everyone's probably aware that South Africa is quite an unusual society. So the age, age of the children, the background, and what particular problem were you, were you solving that, that the fact the library wasn't open early um, could address? Um, well, the uh, the children are aged from six to fourteen. That's grade one to grade seven. Um, some of them are a little bit old. Um, some of them start a bit later or repeat a year, so they're a little bit older. So they're from six to fourteen. Um, there are seven classes, grade one to grade seven, plus an aid class um, for children with learning problems, and the socio-economic um, background. Um, well, the children are um, all either black or coloured with a sprinkling of white children. Um, the black children mostly get bussed in from um, the townships and the parents um, are sending them to this um, inner city or suburban um, English um, school uh, because they perceive that they're going to get a better education than they would get in the township. Um, so education is not um, entirely free. Um, the poorer, uh, 50% of, of, of kids in South Africa actually go to free schools, but the children at my school actually pay approximately a thousand rand a month. That's about 250 zloty um, a month. And on top of that, they're paying um, for the transport to bring um, the kids in and um, take them home in these taxis um, every day. And that probably costs um, about another hundred zloty. So these parents are actually paying a lot of money um, for their children to come to the school. Um, so some of the children's parents don't read um, uh, at all. They have no books in the home uh, whatsoever. But of course there are a sprinkling whose um, parents um, certainly do read and um, encourage them. So there's quite a wide range of um uh, interest in, in, in reading from zero to um, very keen. Um, so there's plenty of room for uh, uh, motivation and um, encouragement. Okay, and, and what, what, the, what sort of time do children arrive in the morning and what was happening before you opened Well, the, the, the children arrive, uh, I discovered in 2012 that the children arrive on transport um, at 7 a.m. The school actually opens the doors at 7 a.m., 
but school only starts at 20 to 8. So these children were um, running around in the playground, which was fine. Um, but um, if there was an opportunity for the ones who wanted to read or uh, possibly play chess or other games or something um, before school. So, in fact, the headmaster suggested that um, I might be interested in opening the library um, early in the morning. Um, I hadn't been aware of um, the fact that the children did arrive early, and I thought initially that I would try it out um, a couple of days a week when I wasn't walking. Um, uh, I belonged to a walking group, and um, I didn't want to <laughs> interfere with that. But the very first day that I opened the library, 50 children turned up. So I then decided that um, I had to do this. Um, and that started in 2012, so I've been doing it for um, six years. Six and, years. And um, what, what's the volunteering tradition? Were, were you a, a parent in the school or did you have another role there? How did you come across this school and decide to volunteer? No, so my, I, my uh, domestic workers' children uh, went to the school. I no. see, I see. And um, could, you, could you name the school? Cause probably, do the, does the school have a website? Could we post a link to the website? Um, no, it doesn't have a website. It's called Claremont Primary School. Um, it opened in 1906 and used to be called Claremont Public School and used to be for only white children. Um, but since 1994, um, after uh, Freedom Day and the end of apartheid, um, it's been open to all children. Um, but it's a small, under-resourced um, school. Um, and the, uh, what's happened is that the white children have fled um, to the... Uh, better schools in the area. The area has some extremely good, well-resourced schools. Um, so the white children have fled and the school has um, become, in a way, the student body has become darker and darker, which is a common um, inner-city um, situation. But uh, although 250 zloty a month might sound, or oh, 1,000 rand might sound not so much in in Poland, mm. in South Africa, what, what are those middle-class parents who can afford to pay those fees? And Lower. Just, just, what, what, what's the sort of... Lower middle-class and middle-class. Mm -hmm. And are, are the free, is private education very popular of, of that type? Or what, what are the state schools? Because there is free state education. Theory. No, no, there isn't free state mm. education. Okay. Only for people who really fall into the lowest um, uh, economic categories. Mm -hmm. um, uh, for example, in... In the apartheid um, era, uh, my brother went to um, a state school and that was free. Um, I went to a, um, a convent and we had to pay. Mm -hmm. um, my children um, attended um, state schools uh, in the 80s um, and um, 90s. And by that stage, uh, the state schools in the uh, wealthier areas... Um, largely uh, white areas, um, the government had decided even before the end of apartheid that those people had to pay because there wasn't enough money um, to pay for free education for everybody. Mm -hmm. So it was decided in the late 80s uh, when my children were in primary school um, that um, people living in relatively well-to-do areas would have to uh, pay for education on a sliding scale. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I see. And so, I mean, in South Africa, is, I, is, because we haven't visited the school, at least I haven't visited the school, is the school, is it quite typical for schools to have libraries? One, one of the reasons I thought it was an interesting potential TED talk, uh, TED, TEDx talk, I actually suggested to Cape Town, South Africa, that they might 
might might get in touch because it seemed that this would be an idea that potentially could spread to other schools. Would you do most schools in South Af South Africa? Have school libraries and not uh, at all, not no, at all. No, so this is unusual uh, to have a library at all. Uh, it 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 is very unusual, and it's because the school um, was formerly a white school mm. um, uh, in quite a well-to-do area um, that it has a, a, a really lovely purpose-built um, library, mm -hmm. probably one of the nicest ones um, in Cape Town. Mm -hmm. But um, because the librarian post had been taken away. Um, for economic um, reasons, because mm -hmm. um, there is so much that needs to be done in, in terms of education and housing and mm -hmm. um, uh, hospital services and so on, that there just isn't enough money to go around. Because out of a population of 55 million people, there are only 5 million personal taxpayers in South Africa. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and that's the main problem, is that there just isn't the money. I see. And, and so, so really, this would be... Potentially, but potentially, and so so the idea of opening up a but of the schools that do have libraries, would you say they they have similar similar a similar issue? Would there be other libraries that are also shut when the children could potentially be using them? Do you think? Well, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are quite a few um, NGOs involved in setting up libraries at schools, mm. Mm. Um, and initially they would um, set up the library, but not really do too much about having somebody to run it. Mm -hmm. um, well, that situation has changed um, over the years, and now um, invariably um, somebody is trained um, properly to look after it, mm. uh, because at first what would happen is the library would be delivered, and then it would be locked up, um, for fear that um, anything might happen to it and not mm -hmm. and not be used. So it can't be open without being supervised. That's but, right. Yeah. But, but having supervision costs money, and that that's yes. that's the challenge. Yeah. That's well, yeah. So so um, I um, do feel that my model could be rolled out, mm -hmm. um, but um, you know, my school actually has the advantage of about forty over forty do-gooder, um, mostly white women, mm -hmm. um, volunteering in one capacity or another. There are mm -hmm. two reading NGOs um, that operate, one called Help to Read, which is how I went there in the first place, and another one called Shine, um, which um, is a targeted reading program for grade two. So at the end of the first year at school, Shine goes in, mm -hmm. tests, um, uh, the, tests the class going into grade two, and literally takes half of that class, mm -hmm. the lower half um, in terms of results, um, for targeted one-on-one -on -one, um, phonics and uh, reading um, revision uh, uh, for the whole year. And I've seen incredible results um, from that program. Mm -hmm. So there are about 40, um, 40 people, not all women, uh, mostly uh, women, but some men and some young people mm -hmm. um, involved with that. Um, and uh, and then there's myself um, and then another uh, a program. So even so, um, there are still children falling through the cracks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so there's a huge amount of work to be done. But the combination of all the... Um, NGOs involved um, at the school um, and supported by the library means that some of the children are actually going on to um, extremely good, the best schools in Cape Town. Mm -hmm. In fact, last year, my best reader, who had 
uh, taken out um, over 400 books, mm -hmm. um, got a full scholarship as a boarder to Diocesan College, which is the top um, boys' private school um, in Cape Town. Mm -hmm. And a couple of my other children, um, uh, mostly my uh, good readers, um, have had scholarships to other top um, state schools. The, the schools are very good. Um, there are very good high schools in my area. And every year, some of um, our children do um, go on to those schools. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe that the library has made a big contribution to this. Yes, well, I remember when you might actually, why don't you describe how, how we first met? Because that quite, that's quite an interesting story, maybe for some of our listeners are not well up on the, the ways you can meet people. Um, <laughs> but also, um, one of the, I remember one of the things that I asked you, can I bring anything? Because we were coming from Europe and you said, bring, bring books. And that was my <laughs> first, that was the first message. But can you describe A, how we met and B, what your function is apart? Because obviously you're, you're looking for books, but what do you actually do other than unlock it and lock it up in terms of your day and maybe describe the atmosphere in the mm -hmm. do you, I presume do you have some photographs yes the, I do I've, got, so, so, so. I've actually got photos on my on my phone so. okay so well, mm -hmm. I'm sure we can share yes. some of those when we when we write this up but so I, I asked you again I asked too many questions in batches was one is how we came across each other secondly um, what you're doing in the library and I can't remember my third question <laughs> maybe you can <laughs> okay okay well um, I first heard about Richard Lucas when he um, applied to me through um, the Couchsurfing website to come and stay for a couple of days with two of his children. Um, and on reading his profile and seeing that he was involved with um, uh, TED Talks um, and so on, I was absolutely um, uh, adamant that I had to um, uh, meet him um, and introduce my children to him, um, being a, a great fan of um, TED Talks um, uh, already. Um, and when Richard came to the um, uh, came to um, the house and, and found out more about what I did, um, he uh, kindly offered to make a donation um, for um, books uh, for the school because, in fact, supplying the books is another one of the. Is, is the other thing that I do. There is no budget um, for books. Ju just to inter interrupt, if anyone listening to this has access to, to English language books suitable for what is it, 7 to 14 year olds? 6 to 14 year olds. And you can find a way of getting the money together for the postage. I'm sure that I could easily, we could, we'll give contact details so people can get in touch with you and you can yeah. discuss. It's obviously not worth sending any old book because if it's Absolutely. A, a, a 19th century Encyclopedia Britannica will cost you a fortune to ship and yeah. won't be read or useful. Quite, yeah. Well, uh, over the years, I have built up um, um, the stock um, and I'm actually um, happy with it, but I'm always looking for um, specific, um, specific books. Uh, at, at one stage, I would accept anything as a donation. So I get donations from friends. I get donations from um, other schools, Shine, Help to Read um, from time to time, friends who I talk to um, in my walking group or in the course of my daily life, sometimes drop packets of books over the fence mm -hmm. at, at home. Mm -hmm. um, I once walked with a woman um, who has two children at um, a couple of the top schools, told her my story, never saw her again. And every few weeks, she turns up with a couple of books, mm -hmm. you know, often, often new books mm -hmm. um, and so on, which is absolutely wonderful. Um, but uh, I have a passion for um, secondhand bookshops. 
and particularly secondhand bookshops uh, which sell children's books. Mm -hmm. So if I travel to English-speaking countries, I usually come home with uh, three dozen books. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, a wonderful way to get hold of specific books, parts of uh, books in series or that fill up series or, or specific uh, prize-winning books, Carnegie Medal books from the US, that sort of thing. Um, is uh, secondhand on Amazon. Mm. And then if I know someone who's coming to South Africa from England, um, then I order them on Amazon and get them delivered to the friend who then arrives with a suitcase full of books for me. Um, I'm just wondering, there's a rather a very good second-hand bookshop in Krakow called Masalit. I've been I'm, there. Oh, you've been there already. Yes. I, was going to, I was going to say maybe I could introduce you to the... No, no. Maybe they could do shipping to South Africa. No, 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 no. I, um, I know all about the uh, English bookshops in every city that I'm going to be visiting on yeah. this trip. Okay, so you've got ahead of me there. Um, so, yeah, so we, so we, met, through, we met through Couchsurfing and mm. you told me about this. And um, But I know, can you describe what you're doing in the like, what a day looks like? You... Um, because I, I, I do think that anyone listening to this who, um, you know, it's a certain set of circumstances. The school's got a, a room where the children could go. The children, when they arrive, can't get in or do anything useful mm. before it starts. And obviously children of any age are a spectrum. They're the ones who will never work unless they've got a, they've got a knife against their, their throat and they don't want to work at all. And there are other children who are highly motivated. And it's probably for the ones who... Are motivated but don't have that much opportunity that this was a real a real opportunity a real boon because yes. real, real, but it, there's a certain set of circumstances there's some space available there mm. are children who given the opportunity would rather be somewhere peaceful and quiet where they could get on with their studies mm. rather than sort of shivering in a corner or just sort of hanging around looking at their phone or whatever they do i don't know no well they don't have phones um uh, at school um i don't think too many of them have phones but they're not allowed to have them at school mm -hmm. oh. so they come to the library before school they can play chess or other games mm -hmm. even if it's pick up sticks or um uno or um, snakes and ladders or something mm -hmm. i mean that gives them the opportunity to learn other skills like you know, taking turns and sharing and, mm. uh, and so mm. on. Mm. We, we have a, um, a teacher who is teaching um, the children chess, um, mm. which is very good. Um, and uh, so they come, uh, they're allowed to play games before school, mm. and then some of them come to change their books. Mm -hmm. um, and well, what's, then, the, what's the atmosphere like? Because then it's obviously, it has to have... Well, it's, it's really noisy. It's a noisy library. Yes, it's not. It's not like a church. It's not a typical library. No, it's not a. It's not a. Not a church. Some of the teachers um, manage to uh, maintain a relative um, quiet. Mm. Um, some others um, don't manage that at mm. all. Um, but we uh, uh, get on. Um, mm. Sometimes. Sometimes children will come in and just sit quietly in a corner. Mm. Um, in every class, there'll be some who will sit quietly mm. in a mm. corner um, uh, and read. But uh, in general, it's quite a noisy library. So I've got my little regulars um, who meet me um, at the door as I arrive at uh, quarter past seven um, uh, in the morning. And they'll be there. They'll, they'll, come, they'll come and change their books practically every day. 
I've got uh, my little regulars. Would you like to mention their names and then they could watch this later? I'm sure they're not online watching the Project Kashmir podcast, but if this is if this is available for them to watch later, are there any particular ones you'd like to greet? Well, Aviware. <laughs> Aviware um, is an uh, absolute regular. There's another one called Owam. Now, Owam um, lives in um, a, a township called Masipomalele, um, which is um, near Fishhook. And uh, it's a township which has been through um, an awful lot of um, trouble. Orwam doesn't have access to the local library um, because she doesn't have proof of um, her address. Obviously, she and her mother are renting um, a shack or a, or a house um, or a room in a house or something like that. So she doesn't have... Um, access to the local library in Masipomalele, although there is one. Um, and she is an absolutely avid um, reader who comes to school on public transport um, every day. And she's about, uh, she's probably she's probably 10 or 11 and is an avid reader, um, reading, um, I would say, unquestionably beyond her um, age group. Um, now, she's told me that she's going to be leaving and going to another school, and I'm determined that um, before she leaves, I will make sure that she has access to her local library because I very much doubt that the school that she'll be going to will be able to provide her with as much reading material as I can. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so, well, I, I think I'm, I'm not a great expert in Facebook Live, but there is a way in which this video can stay up after it's over and then... It, it, and then you, when you're back, or you could send them a link, and they might they might be happy to know, <laughs> happy to know that they're being talked about. Mm. Although if you've left anyone out, they might be upset. Yes, so. of course. Yeah, yeah. No, of course. I have um, uh, children in in every year. I mean, I have a wonderful little reader called Melissa in grade two. Um, Bailey uh, is fantastic. Amelia. Um, oh, I have Daniel and. Um, Amir, um, who uh, read great books. I have um, Tutsurai and his brother Tanaka, who are Zimbabwean um, boys, um, who are extremely um, keen readers. Um, I have Nazira series, who um, one day, uh, she's in grade three, um, absolutely avid little reader. And she came in one day and asked me for books on um, rocks and fossils and came back um, the next day and said she wants to be an archaeologist. Uh, but I must say one of my um, top um, wow moments, well I have, I have wow moments every day in fact, it's absolutely addictive. Yes, um, I, maybe you could talk about that because <laughs> I, 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 I suppose you know in terms of describing the atmosphere is, is so familiar to you, you know exactly what it's like, but what are the what are the things what? that make you... Because you have to get up early in the morning. And, and do, the, yeah. the weather's not always beautiful early mm. in the morning. In, in Cape Town, although it may be better than, than in Krakow sometimes. Uh, <coughs> but what, 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 what gets you out of bed and makes you do it? What, what are the sort of the psychological payoffs? Because you're not paid for this. You're, no, no, you're no, I'm not paid at all. No, in fact, I pay <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> because yeah. I buy the books. Yes. 
But you know, I'm addicted to buying the books. Yes. You know, I could be I could be into something else like jewelry or makeup or whatever. But yes. it's children's books that um, get me up. Now, well, one of the main things is that um, since my husband died, um, I need to be with people. Mm-hmm. I need fixed time activities involving people. Uh, if you live on your own, in order to have a conversation, you've got to you've got to make an effort. You've got to pick up the phone or go somewhere or something. And this is actually one of the easiest ways to be with people. And it seems like a complete no-brainer. Um, all I have to do is get up and be there. And there are people who are happy to see me and need me. Um, you know, it's addictive. So what, what do you do with the children? Because, again, so what, in what ways are you helping them? Are you helping them read or are you discussing with them what they should read? Well, I'm discussing with them what they should um, uh, read. I, you know, advise them. I recommend books um, constantly. Um, uh, if I've got a, um, a bright, ch- if I've got a bright child who I can see is reading uh, more than the um, average uh, popular girls' books or something, If uh, then I will um, actively suggest books constantly and say, pick out books and, and uh, recommend uh, books. For example, I mean, um, in grade seven, um, there are quite a few serious uh, readers. And just recently, um, I asked uh, one of the girls if she knew anything about the Holocaust. And she knew absolutely nothing about it. Well, I'm determined that before they... Um, leave the school, they must know about things like the Holocaust and mm. they must know who Darwin is. Mm-hmm. Um, there seems to be something in the syllabus in about grade five about Anne Frank. Mm-hmm. So um, lots of the children know about Anne Frank. Mm. Um, but I've um, acquired or I attempt to acquire books um, on a wide variety of subjects, particularly mm. about other countries and history and um local historical situations as far as possible, general mm. knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 9-11, for example. I recently found a book on, on, on 9-11. In fact, that was one of the ones I got with your um, um, donation. Um, so I have a globe of the world on uh, my desk. And um, often when the children in the line, I'll say to them, um, tell me a country that... Uh, you know, you know something about, and do you know where it is, for example? Mm-hmm. So um, I've got a lot of maps, mm-hmm. um, which I encourage them to look at and tell me um, about things that they know. So sometimes I'll say, um, do you know, have you ever heard of France? Do you, do you know um, about France? And then eventually somebody will come up with one thing. Mm-hmm. And then it'll uh, build from there. You know, very often it's a soccer player. Mm-hmm. Um Ronaldo or uh, mm-hmm. or something like that. So when we had the World Cup in 2010, mm-hmm. um, of course we had countries from all over the world in South Africa. So mm-hmm. so um, uh, that was a time when they learned uh, about other countries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to um, push knowledge about the rest of the world, trying to expand their um, knowledge of the rest of the world. And um, I also encourage them to read prize-winning books. Mm. So, for example, um, particularly Carnegie Medal books from America. So I encourage them to go around the library and look for the books that have got the 
um, gold or silver medallion on them. And I've got some girls. Um, I've got a lovely um, girl from the Congo called Amida who is making a point of going around the library and picking out all the mm-hmm. uh, uh, prize-winning books. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, is it, you mentioned the, the volunteers, you said most, mostly white, and I think it would be important to share your politics because people in Europe, most of our listeners are in Europe, they're, mm-hmm. they're uh, around the world. Not everyone knows South African history that well. And if you could say what it's like being a middle-class white woman in South Africa now and how, how how South Africa works because although, you know, not and just explain your personal your personal take on South Africa's history and the current situation. I know that's a big subject, but in a few sentences, just explain what you what you think and believe because I think your your actions uh, tell a story in themselves. But it, it I'd like my listeners to be to be sure who 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 they're listening to. Oh my goodness! Well, that is a bit of a challenge. Okay, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes. But I, I, I think it is slightly off topic. But I, I think it's good to your your perspective. Jill isn't one that um, that many listeners will have been exposed to because I'm sure not that many have been to South Africa, and um, South Africa has a very unusual history. All right. Well, I grew up in a middle class, white English speaking um, family. My parents. Are descended from uh, my parents were both born in South Africa, but um, I both my grandfathers were born um, uh, overseas. My one grandfather came from Ireland, and my other from England. So um, my parents were um, staunch um, United Party um, voters. So that was um, in the apartheid era, um, the Nationalist Party, which was. Uh, descended from the Dutch um, uh, people, uh, they ruled the um, country and to a large extent, um, well, I mean, I lived through apartheid and obviously benefited um, from the advantages of being white. But, you know, to a large extent, you're getting on with your life. Um, you know, your father's trying to make a living one way or the other. And um, there's a lot that one doesn't really know about. I mean, obviously, you know, I lived through having a maid who lived in the um, back room, um, in a room without a ceiling, for example. Um, You know, it never occurred to me to think, why don't we put a ceiling in her room? Um, But anyway, that's how it was. But essentially, my parents were United Party um, voters. And then I became, to a certain extent, politicized um, at university and got to meet... um, (sighs) Um, whites who were actively involved in um, trying to undermine the uh, apartheid um, um, government. And, well, that was in the early um, 70s. And then um, eventually, funnily enough, after South Africa got television in 1976 for the first time, um, things started, um, it looked like more of a possibility of, um, getting rid of the apartheid system. And in, in fact, by the end of the 80s, at the same time, not long before, around about the time that the Berlin Wall came down, that was pretty much the end of apartheid. Um, so um, I came from a background that was um, anti-apartheid, always voted against it, but um, I didn't particularly do anything to uh, mm. make it happen other than vote um, mm. in the system. 
Um, but of course, when 1994 came and Nelson Mandela was uh, released and the ANC were unbanned, we were overjoyed to no longer be the polecats of the world mm-hmm. um, and, and obviously hoped um, that things would um, go well. And frankly, if the ANC had succeeded in making a real go of it until today, um, I couldn't have been uh, happier. But of course, as so often happens, liberation movements don't necessarily always make um, the best governments. And uh, particularly in a case where a party can't be voted out, um, there's even more danger of um, corruption. And um, that's exactly what happened. Um, so um, things went um, pretty well under Mandela. Um, I mean, Mandela was absolutely a, the most amazing um, hero as far as I'm concerned. Um, and things went reasonably well under um, the next president, um, Mbeki, despite, despite the fact that he was an AIDS denialist, mm-hmm. um, which in the end um, probably... Uh, you know, discredited him um, to a certain extent. But then, of course, the population wasn't all immediately going to be um, lifted up from um, poverty simply because the government had changed. And some 10 years or so after the end of apartheid, when this hadn't um, um, happened, not much had changed for quite a few people, then um, the majority voted in a populist uh, president in, in, in Zuma, who uh, Zuma uh, had the ability to um, always tell everybody what they wanted to hear. Um, so uh, he was voted in, but of course he really got involved in serious um, corruption and... Ten years later, um, we've just had a change of president and um, hopefully the new one is going to make a better job um, of it. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that it's not, it's not the easiest thing to summarise your personal take on your, a dramatic history. Mm-hmm. But also many people in Poland are very used to having to explain a, a complicated history uh, in, a, in a few sentences if there are people out there to listen. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it, it, is, it is good for our... Good for our listeners to know, and maybe interesting because you, your 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 husband was an entrepreneur, wasn't he? And, yes, he was. My uh, husband was. Yeah. Uh, can you can you describe in a few sentences? We're jumping from topic to topic, mm. but I we, we will come back to summarise my uh, reflections on the school library in a moment. But, but but as we've got a lot of entrepreneurs in the in the audience or people who want to be entrepreneurs, um, what was your husband's business? Uh, my husband was an industrial chemist. Um, he um, studied physics, chemistry, and maths at university, and uh, um, at quite an early age um, got involved in um, a big um, specialty chemical manufacturing company, um, of which he was the manufacturing managing director in his 30s. Um, But um, he uh, then started moving around um, looking for... (laughs) Um, I suppose, um, job satisfaction. He actually had a fantastically interesting job um, because it covered chemistry in such a wide variety of um, fields. For example, one week he would be uh, working on a coal drag line in the mining um, 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 arena. Um, The following week he would be dealing with the problem of 
um, yeast um, in, a, in a food um, factory. Then it would be um, water quality in some other industry. And then it would be um, floor levels, uh, concrete, um, concrete and um, coatings in the building industry. And was, I think you told me when we were visiting in, in Cape Town that it ended up being additives for concrete and That's building, right. building the, materials. Yeah, so. In the end, he decided to um, start his own business. Um, I was his second wife, and we, our children were born when he was in his 40s. So um, he knew um, from that time on that it wouldn't do to have a job from which he could be um, evicted in his <laughs> late 50s or early 60s and he would have to keep earning mm -hmm. so um, he started his own business at the age of 50 so he was really an inventor um, who um, had a wonderful understanding of what chemicals one could add to a bag of cement and what would happen um, uh, if he did um, if he added this one and that one this would happen and so on so um, we moved, uh, he, he opened his own business um, at the age of about uh, 50, and then we moved to Cape Town in, uh, when he was 59, uh, where he opened a new branch um, specializing in um, floor coatings um, for the food industry, because most of the food industry was based in, um, in Cape Town. Um, also, having grown up in the Cape, he wanted to live uh, go back to the mountain, in fact, Table mm. Mountain. He wanted to live near Table Mountain um, and thought it would be much better for our children um, and all of us to be living in Cape Town, mm -hmm. which is absolutely wonderful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, well, and, and so uh, that's... And um, as uh, maybe one of your children, your sons, I've met both your sons, one of them is an artist and the other was involved in something called Africa Burn. Some of our listeners may be aware of... Burning, burning Man, burning man <clears throat> but um, I learned about Africa Burns from someone who helps organise it. So maybe uh, uh, maybe just a few words on each of your children, as they may possibly listen to this too, and you can mention <laughs> them. I don't know if they'll be pleased, and if not, I'll say, hi guys, I made your mother do this if you're embarrassed. <laughs> no, well, both my children are um, uh, create, uh, very creative, and people often ask me if they got it from me. And I don't think so. I can make a plate of food look good, um, but my main thing is um, uh, information and knowledge and where to find um, knowledge and, and that sort of thing. And I did introduce them, obviously, to um, books and to galleries. We took them traveling and, and we took them to um, uh, Amsterdam, to the Van Gogh Museum and, and, and that sort of thing uh, when they were teenagers. So we did um, certainly expose them to that, and of course they had books from a very early age. But their main influence was an art teacher at Rondebosch Boys High. Um, but I think they inherited their a creative ability from my husband, who was um, very, very good um, with his hands um, as well, um, and was essentially an inventor, um, mm. but uh, very creative. So both my children are creative with their hands, so um, my oldest son um, is involved with event management in the art world, including having been involved with Africa Burn, um, the biggest um, offshoot of Burning Man um, in the world. Burning Man has 70,000 people. Africa Burn has 13,000. But when my son Paul first started uh, with them, they had 650 people at the first event. Mm. And... And Burning Man and Africa Burn are 
opportunities for um, artists um, to create wonderful artworks and share them with the public who don't buy them and put them on their walls but are more than happy to pay for the experience of seeing them. But they're often ephemeral works which are not going to last anyway. I mean, they may be um, built out of recycled materials, for, uh, for example, um, but they are wonderfully creative and people love to experience, it, experience them. So... Um, they then get burnt at the end of the event. Mm. And the following year, the organization sponsors artists to create more, and more and more people want to go and um, actually mm. see them. So that's um, Africa Burn. But Paul also does lighting for um, the Cape Town Carnival. He builds stages for music festivals. He does special effects in the film industry. Mm -hmm. um, well, if anyone listening needs someone in that, we're, I'll, I will put them in touch. And, and your other son, there's a funny story. And there. then, um, well, Ian started painting, um, <clears throat> was obviously good at painting and drawing um, uh, from an early age, and won the main art prize at the end of his school career, um, and uh, took a gap year after school, during which he earned money um, doing portrait commissions. Um, and then decided to um, go to university and study um, English and philosophy of art and literature and um, history of art and so on, while paint, uh, painting um, all the time. And then eventually did a postgraduate diploma in painting at the University of Cape Town um, Art School, um, after which um, he submitted his best work to a painting competition um, sponsored by one of the big banks and won first prize. Um, so that was the prize for the best young artist under 35 um, for that year in South Africa. And his prize was to go and live in Paris for a year, uh, for six months, um, fully paid for, um, with access to all the galleries and exhibitions um, and so on, and an, ex and an exhibition thereafter. At the same time, he, he was adopted um, or taken up by one of the big um, art galleries in, in Cape Town and is still with them, and they give him the opportunity to have an exhibition um, every couple of years. So he's a full-time painter. He's 33, and he's a full-time um, full artist surviving mm -hmm. um, on his painting. Which is, which is also very impressive. So all entrepreneurs of a sort. Um, and <laughs> coming, back to, coming back to the... Um, the library, which I thought was the, or maybe not the library itself, because that already existed, but the idea of of, of making it open for for longer. If if there's anyone listening anywhere in the world who can think of a school where they'd like to do this, what is there any final message you'd like to you'd like to give them? Uh, is there any support or advice you could give them of how to how to get something like that underway? So someone to copy what you're doing. Well, um, you know, I think in um, in Europe, um, uh, you're all pretty um, sorted. We do have um, listeners all over the world. In, in really, <laughs> really, we have like sometimes on the map. I can see mm. there's someone in Mongolia or well, knock uh, on knock on the door. You know, if you love reading and want to see um, children children reading, knock on the door and see what happens. You know, my what I do, um, I, I didn't arrive with it. Um, uh, the, the full story right from the beginning. It started with um, a willingness to simply offer my time for a couple of hours um, 
um, per week, and it's now turned into uh, four days a week um, in term time all year round, um, and um, essentially uh, buying the books for this um, for this library. But it gives me such enormous pleasure that um, I, I can't even begin to imagine um, life without it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's fantastic. And, and uh, uh, approximately how many children do you think have been through the doors of your library uh, every year? It's 100 or 200? Well, there are 240 children um, in the school, um, and every year 35 leave, so I can't do the maths. Let's so, say so it's 200, but are all of them going in the library, would you say? Would every single one go? Yes, uh, every single one of those 240 yes. children um, comes to the library with their class. Um, but when, uh, when, when it's open as a result of you being there, though, because you're not there, you're not the only person in the library, are you? There are other people, or is it only you? No, it's only me. Okay, yeah, so, so it's really, only me, so. so 240 kids for five years, that's for like 1,200 children. Um, uh, well, no, it's not as much as that, because the same children have been there for, um, uh, for they're at school for seven years. Yeah. But, e- but each year, another Yes, two, there's another uh, 35. So, oh, I see. It's, only, 30, it's only 35 okay, okay. in each class. So yeah, There are um, probably people out there who can do the maths better than, <laughs> yeah. than you or well, me. Well, it's a few hundred, but, yeah. but let me just give you one uh, statistic. When I started in, 20, um, in 2012, opening the library, prior to me being there, um, the computer record showed that um, the children were taking out between two and four hundred books per month. Mm. Um, the first month that I opened the library early in the morning, the, it jumped. The figure jumped to um, eight hundred uh, books were borrowed that month, um, and in the month of March this year, eighteen hundred books were borrowed. And how, mo- how much was it before you started? Between two and four hundred books a month. Before you started, and now eighteen hundred. It's now eighteen hundred books a month were borrowed um, in March um, uh, this year. So four four and a half times more now. Yeah. Than back then. So two hundred and forty children borrowed eighteen hundred books. Mm-hmm. Um, so people like Aviware and Owam and um, Daniel and um, Melissa and Bailey and uh, Ayakanya. Um, and Asive, um, those children took way more than um, one book a week. Mm-hmm. They were taking three or four books a week mm-hmm. and loving it. So, so um, well, thank you very much. I think it's a, it's a really, really interesting story and shows that entrepreneurship can be much wider than, than starting a business. It's seeing a problem, figuring out you can do something to solve it, and then doing it, not just thinking about it. Um, if anyone listening wants to wants to contribute to the library in terms of money or donating books we'll post enough information on the website to um of when the public podcast goes on live uh, goes online to make sure that people can do that um and apart from that any, any closing message to the listener or shall we just wrap up um let me just think there's a quote by dr seuss um who wrote The Cat in the Hat. They, um, who wrote The Cat in the Hat. Dr. Seuss is amazingly popular um, uh, today. Um, and the quote comes from... Oh, my gosh. I'm afraid I can't remember it at the moment. Well, well, I, can look it, I, can, I can look it up. Keep talking. Yeah. Well, which it, comes from, it comes from... Uh, you can read with your eyes shut. Mm. Um, uh, it's, it's all about... Oh, my gosh. Sorry, Richard. I forgot. I don't, forgot worry, don't, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. 
you I'm just I'm just googling it now on a separate computer Dr. Seuss I'll see what what comes up some probably you can read it with your eyes uh, your it's... eyes shut um, the, the great thing about having access to the internet is um, the more um, that you read the more places the more that you the more that you read the more you will learn the more that you know the more places you'll go I think that'll do. <laughs> you can always <laughs> yeah, that'll do. Yeah. Okay, Julie, it's been a, a pleasure to have you on the on the podcast, and um, I very much encourage anyone listening to to think about doing something to, to do to doing something similar. Um, Project Casual listeners, if you enjoyed this show, do leave do leave a comment. If you if you didn't enjoy the show, um, please give feedback. And if you have any ideas of other people who ought to be on the show or or topics you'd like to have um, me interview people about, that kind of feedback is also very welcome. Uh, please share this, uh, share this podcast, particularly with anyone connected to a school. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Project Kashmir, brought to you by me, your host, Richard Lucas. If you enjoyed listening, check out additional podcasts on our webpage, projectkashmir.com, or on iTunes, where you can also subscribe so you never miss an episode, and also leave us a five-star review if you feel like it. We welcome feedback and suggestions of new interviewees, whether as comments on projectkashmir.com or via our page on Facebook. This podcast was produced by Adam Zuber. Thank you again for listening. You know, vision is all great and well, but execution is actually the key. The actual process of meeting those people, working with them, is in itself a huge reward. Interaction between the university and the business high-tech community is absolutely fundamental. Diversity creates a healthy ecosystem, and I think that I'm seeing more and more that diversity. It's not just about individuals, but it's about new individuals, it's about, you know, um, new initiatives. Sometimes they overlap with each other, sometimes they might be cannibalizing each other. But the reality is that you want to have as many as possible, because that accelerates the big picture. We're not going to have everyone in the world here and in this connected world we don't need everyone here but but the, the you know the artists and the designers the creatives they're very much part of what we what we've got and what we need so if you're listening again somewhere else in the world and you feel you, you're looking for a place where your 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 creative juices will run then 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 this city is certainly a place where you can find yourself. And I think you can make history in Poland. I think you can be part of something much bigger than you could be a part of in the United States right now. Not just from a, you know, going out to San Francisco to make Silicon Valley richer, but but making a new part of the world um, grow at a much faster rate, be a much bigger part of that community, and and making it wealthy not just for wealth's sake, but for uh, a purpose, which is to make that country's government stronger.